So this past week was, was Halloween. We talked about trunk or treat this morning. We talked about the various things that take place on Halloween. And, and this is the time of year that we just um, came through where many people, Christians included, self-professing Christians as well, we indulge in scary movies. We, some of us watch the things on TV. We go to amusement parks for thrill rides, and we do many things because we want to be scared. That's the, the season we're just coming out of. Scary books, haunted houses, other things like that. Um, but they seek it out. People tend to seek this kind of thing out. But, and I don't know if you know this or not, but interesting statistic I just heard last week was that um, currently more money is spent on the, the holiday of Halloween than is spent on any other holiday that we celebrate. People just are drawn to scary things and they this time of year just kind of puts them in the mood for that. But I'm going to hit you this morning with one I consider to be one of the scariest, if not the scariest, verse in Scripture. And as Pastor Dan just read the passage, the scariest line would be to depart from me, I never knew you. So let's do a little bit of theater of the mind right now. Um, and imagine yourself on that day standing before Jesus and Him telling you, I never knew you. And the sad fact is there's many people out there, many sincere people who sincerely believe and think that they're saved and that their future is secure. But Jesus said that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? See, the thing is here, they're relying on works. If you look at how this is phrased again, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did many wonders, we go to church, we tithe, we give money to the homeless. Insert whatever you want here, whatever good deed you want. Insert whatever position you may have in the church, pastor, Sunday school teacher, worked with the youth, donated to the bake cell, sat in the dunk tank. The thing is, this is what we all tend to want to do is make it all about us. And it it's not about us. It's not about what we do. And it's really, it's about Jesus and it's what, about what He did. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul expresses this very clearly. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not this, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. So again, it's all about what Jesus did. Can you imagine if we got to heaven and we got there based on our own merit? Would you want to spend eternity listening to people brag about what they did to get into heaven? I did this. I did that. 
I don't think any of us would want to do that. Don't get me wrong, all those things that I mentioned are, are good, and they're things that we should do, and we should be doing those things plus many more of those things, but we should do those things because we love Jesus and because we want to keep his commandments, not because we think it's going to get us into heaven, because the truth is, that's not even going to come close to getting us into heaven. In this passage here, notice too that when Jesus replied to the people who said, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did many wonders in his name, he never refuted what they said. He never said, no, you, you didn't do that. You, he never did that. He just told them, he said, I never knew you. Depart from me. So beware. We go to church and we do a lot of these things. We tithe. We donate. We pastor. We teach. Anything we do, and doing it under the banner of a Christian, under his name, he told them, I never knew you. A little bit of another interesting thing I heard this past week was regarding the rich man and Lazarus. Now the rich man and Lazarus was more than a parable. This was an actual event that happened in history. And you notice in this passage that Lazarus is named. The rich man is not named. And a lot of people suppose and that the rich man is not named because he falls into that category of people that Jesus never knew. We know that he was a Jew because he referred to Abraham as Father Abraham. But as far as Jesus knowing him, he's not named in Scripture. And there's speculation there that the reason he's not named again is because he's one of the ones that Jesus didn't know. So in talking about all this, it gets a little bit scary. I mean, he says, depart from me, but then it gets a little worse because depart from me is bad enough, and I can guarantee you do not want to hear that him say that to you. The thing we're wanting to hear him say is, well done, good and faithful servant. If we hear, depart from me, this isn't go away, find yourself, come back later. This is, if you hear this, it's too late. If you hear this, it's essentially, you're going to hell. And we know what all that entails. And I was reading this, and as I was putting this lesson together, I started thinking about myself, because I know I don't want to hear that one day. So I started questioning myself, looking at myself. So the things that I'm going to list here is not a, a judgment on anybody. This is a, a self-evaluation for you to look at, to think if you're in the right place, if you're in the right area with your relationship with Jesus. Are you where you need to be? And so the question comes about, am I saved? And how can I truly know that I'm saved so that I don't end up there at the white throne judgment um, trying to say, I did all this stuff, and he look at me and say, I don't know you. 
So how can we know? What are some things we can look at to help determine if we've actually been saved? And knowing that you're saved starts with knowing that you have faith in Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we're given instructions to test ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. A prime example of this is found in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. And again, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he's telling them, examine yourselves to see whether you're holding to your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet this test. So what test is the Apostle Paul referring to? Well, if you read that whole passage in context, there are multiple references to doing right and doing things for the truth. But I think even more clearly, the test being referred to here is found in the phrase to examine yourselves, to see whether you are in the faith, to test yourselves. When it says in the faith, it's certainly not a generic faith that it's talking about here. Not a generic faith in Jesus. The next line says, or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus is in you? Salvation is based on uh, being saved by grace because Jesus and through faith placed in Jesus. We have by grace, again, because of Jesus, and through faith placed in Jesus. We are saved through believing and trusting in Jesus. And if you don't actually believe Jesus is God and that He came to earth, that He died on the cross, that He rose from the grave, and that He offers forgiveness and a new life to all who believe, then you don't have that assurance of salvation. And if you do believe what the Bible says about Jesus, then there is reason for you to believe that you're saved. A little caveat I want to throw in here. Make sure to study the Bible for yourselves. A lot of the people that find themselves in the, that category of doing all of these wonderful things, and then Jesus saying he didn't know them, is because they followed a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So make sure to study your Bible for yourself. Don't take my word for it because I'm standing up here, because I have a title. Don't take any pastor's word for it for that matter. Many people are going to be in this spot because they took somebody's word for it. Don't take any man's word for it. Make sure to read your Bible. Study for yourself. And then if you find error in something that your pastor has to say, talk to your pastor about it. Because we don't get it right all the time. I, mean, I look back, uh, I found a few weeks ago, flipping through my Bible, I found some of the lessons that I put together and some of the lessons that I taught early in, in my ministry. And I some of the things that I read that I wrote down there, I cringed at. I had a different understanding at the time, and my understanding changed. And I can't believe that at one point I actually might have said these things to somebody. 
but we grow, and, and sometimes we grow from talking to others and learning from others. So even us up here, we don't have a monopoly on what the Word of God says. That's for each of us to study ourselves, study to show yourselves approved, and to learn. But back to the how to know you're saved. Another point is that obedience is observed in the lives of those that are truly saved. Just because you believe that you're saved doesn't mean that you are. And we can fool ourselves very easily into thinking we have salvation when we truly don't. And this takes us back to the verse that um, Pastor Dan read again, picking up in Matthew 7, 21-23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will seek to... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Here, Jesus gives us a great test to see whether we're truly saved by God when he states, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Throughout the Bible, one test for assurance of salvation that is given to Christians is the test of obedience. 1 John 2, 3-6 tells us how we can know if we're truly saved or not. One of the things he tells us is that we know we're saved if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. The test of salvation is clear here as well. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. If you never obey God, if you have no concern for the will of God or to do what he wants you to do in your life, and if your life never reflects anything of Jesus' life, or if you consistently walk in darkness, there's a, no reason to believe and have assurance of your salvation. But let's also be careful here that we don't um, create a new doctrine out of this one verse. So rather than placing a lot of on this one verse to keep taking it within the context of Scripture, we got to remember that none of us, again, none of us obey God perfectly. None of us love Him as we should all the time. Therefore, obedience alone isn't the only test to know whether you're saved or whether your faith is genuine or not. The third point is you can know you're saved if conviction, confession, and repentance are present. Obedience can contribute to our assurance of salvation, but we can also know we are saved when we receive conviction when we sin, and then confess and repent of those sins. Wait, what? 
Let's read that again. Obedience can contribute to our assurance of salvation. We can also know we are saved when we read conviction, when we sin, and when we confess and repent of those sins. Christians sin. And true Christians sin, but we also have a conviction of sin, and we confess and we repent. So the fact that Christians sin won't come as a shock to most people, but then there's a group of people that this is going to come to a shock to, because I know some sincere Christians who actually believe that once they were saved, that once they were saved, they no longer sin. And that's not what my Bible tells me. It's not what any, any um, Christian Bible I know tells me. I mean, even the Apostle Paul admitted to sinning in Romans. He says that I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things that I hate. And then 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 to 10 puts it this way. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all of our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The thing is, though, what do we do? We sin. We all do. It's what you do with your sin or what you do about your sin. Do you receive conviction that you've sinned? Do you confess and repent of that sin? Or do you put it on display proudly for the whole world to see? Or do you try to bend, twist, and rewrite Scripture to suit your walk in darkness? A lot of people do that. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children, I am writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, we all sin. It's like, what are we going to do about it? What do we do about it when we find out? Or are we so, if you're a Christian and claiming to be a Christian, do you receive that conviction of all? If you're not receiving that conviction and discipline, then that's a good indication that you might want to get with God and talk with God again because something's not clicking there. We can have assurance of salvation if sanctification is taking place. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're sinless once we are saved. It's not like, poof, you're saved, now you're sinless. I wish it did work that way. 
I wish once we got saved we didn't have the ability to sin, but that's not the case. But the Bible does say that we should be sinning less once we're saved. Justification is what God proclaims us to be and what he fully gives us in Christ. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy and learning from the blessings that we've received from Jesus. Take this for example, and this is an easy example. If you said 10 cuss words a day before you're saved, maybe once you get saved, maybe you only say nine a day after. And then maybe a week or more later, you're down to eight. After a month, you're down to seven. And maybe after a year, you get it down to one until it's finally gone. And salvation is a process that consists of both justification and sanctification. Some of the things you do in your old life, you will become bored with and no longer want to do them. Certain TV shows, certain books that you might have read before. Talked early in the message about the watching the scary movies, reading the scary books, the visiting the haunted houses, things like that. A lot of people do those, but perhaps once you're saved, you may not desire to do those things anymore. It may take years, and the Holy Spirit may convict you early on that, hey, this isn't for you, you got to stop. So a lot of people think when we're Christians that, um, the church or whoever forces you to give up this stuff. It's not the church, but the Holy Spirit has a way of working in you that, that uh, sanctifies you, cleanses you from the inside, makes you not want to do those things anymore. Even to some people to even um, begin to dress differently or to um, behave differently in different ways. So we can't on the outside, we cannot judge a person just because they use language we wouldn't use or because they um, maybe dress in a way we don't approve of. But on the inside, you have to um, have this self-analysis. Some things may be a temptation your entire life, but just because they're a temptation doesn't mean you have to give in to them. The Bible does tell us that God will give us a way out of those things. In 2 Peter 1, 5-11, for example, Peter says that for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these things are yours and abound, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be more zealous to confirm your call and election, for if you do this, you will never fail. 
So therefore, or so there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <coughs> Since Christians are partakers of Jesus' nature, we should be making every effort to supplement our faith with uh, maturing holiness and with a walk with God. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, we're not saving ourselves, but merely we're confining our calling, or confirming our calling and election. So there's going to be times when Christians backslide. There's going to be times when we fall. And we all do it at some point at different levels and at different magnitudes. But you should have an assurance of faith and know you're truly saved if your life has changed and if you're seeking to grow closer to God. Another, oh, it's after one o'clock. Love for God's, love for God and love for God's people are strong signs of salvation. In short, if you're saved, if you have a relationship with God, you'll want to be around God and God's people. You'll want to be in church. You'll want to be there whenever the church is doing something. Whenever something's going on, you'll want to be there and be a part of it. You'll want to be around the people that you go to church with. That's the love for God and for God's people. 1 John 3.14 says that we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. You want to be at church. That's just, just the way it is. When I was young, when I was little, there was a point where I really didn't want to go to church. I was, and then there's other unrelated, I was actually scared of the Bible at some point because I knew that it was powerful. I was scared of a lot of things, and some of the things I just wasn't interested in, not like a lot of other kids and young people, not sitting in church wasn't the most exciting thing, but uh, I just wasn't interested. A little later, I just didn't really enjoy it, could have probably walked away at some point, but, uh, well, I think I probably told this story before, but there was a time when I was little, I can't remember how old I was, but somehow I managed to convince my mom to let me stay home with my grandpa on Sunday morning so I could watch a show that I wanted to watch on TV. And this kind of went on for a week, maybe two weeks, but after that, um, I think probably not much longer than that, she caught on and I was back in church the next week. And that's one of the best things that my mom could have done for me is to make sure that I knew God and to put him in his proper place, which is right at the top of that. Right at the top. That's where um, he belongs. And as I got closer to God, my calendar now revolves around church. I wanted to be there every time there was something going on. I wanted to be involved in any way that I could. 
And as a parent or a grandparent, you have this opportunity and you have this responsibility to instill this value in your own kids. And I've already given Elena marching orders on this, that the only time that it's acceptable to miss church is when you're seriously sick. But I digress back to the salvation. You can be at peace about your salvation because perseverance, your perseverance, depends on God. One of the primary signs of salvation, again, perseverance, this means that those who are truly saved will endure to the end. They will keep professing their faith in Jesus. They will keep obeying. They will keep repenting. They will keep being sanctified. They will continue to love God and to love people. And nothing will be able to separate them from the love of God, no matter what's going on around them, no matter what other people may say or how other people may react to them. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He, in this verse, God, began the good work in you. He, again, God, will bring it to completion. So again, this is nothing about what we do. This is nothing about what we do. This is all about what God does for us and in us. And you know, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Corinthians 1, 22 and 23. So Jesus will present us holy and blameless before God. And you will know if you're truly saved, if indeed you continue in faith. As Jude 1, 24 so boldly explains, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and great joy to the one, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Perseverance is big. And it's God that gives us the perseverance. So if you're persevering, if you're not allowing yourself to be blown whichever way the wind blows, that's a perseverance and that's a sign of your, your salvation. So how can you know if you're truly saved? Ultimately, that's going to come down between you and God. I can't say that. Um, nobody else can say that. But it's an evaluation that's worth taking because you don't want to get there at the last day, no more chances, and here, depart from me, I never knew you. So, how again, how can you know you're truly saved by God? How can you have assurance of your salvation? Examine yourselves. Pass the test of faith, but ultimately, 
we have to rest secure in the truth that God is faithful even when we're not. Again, our faith, like everything else, up and down, mountain and valley. But God's always there, and we put our trust in God and not our feelings. God alone is the reason you're saved. So trust Him for your salvation and rejoice in the assurance that He alone can give you. And I'm going to close with this scripture to kind of begin a prayer as well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting.